The text for the sermon this day is taken from Exodus 12, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in week three of the Tree of Life series. And as I said at the beginning, we're kind of working our way through the major periods of the Old Testament. We began with the fall into sin. Genesis 1 through 11 pretty much is creation, fall, flood. Chapter 12, we are introduced to Abraham. And so last week, you heard about Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac had a son, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was blessed by God. And he would be known as Israel, which means wrestles with God. And Jacob would have 12 sons. His 11th son would be sold into slavery by his brothers. Which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this. If you read the book of Genesis, a major theme is sibling rivalry. So if you, have pro if you ever fought with your brother or sister, or you have kids that fight with each other, don't worry, it's as old as Cain and Abel. It's pretty old. So it is all throughout the book of Genesis. But Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, he, he rose to prominence. He rose in favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. Yes, there's a whole difficult journey he went through to get to that point, but he rose to favor. Well, time would pass, and there would be a new Pharaoh. And the new Pharaoh did not know who Joseph was. It was distant history. You remember none of the good things how he had, through Joseph, God saved Egypt from a horrible famine. Instead, he saw all the, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and he was afraid of them. He saw that they had been too many. He was afraid they might retaliate and try to overthrow. And so the first action was to throw them into slavery. But that was not enough. He was still afraid. And so he ordered the killing of every male child upon birth. Soon as the child was to be born, the child was to be thrown into the Nile River to die. However, God, by his grace and mercy, worked it that one child would be spared. And that child would be set up into the river and he'd find his way down the river and into the arms of the daughter of Pharaoh and would grow up in Pharaoh's house and would be named Moses. Moses would have an interview with God. And God would give him a command. And by the way, that's where you get the name of God, is in that little interview. God tells what his name is. It is, anybody know what's the name of God? No, the Hebrew. Yahweh. Yahweh. The actual name is Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in all capital letters in your Old Testament, that is always Yahweh. So, but he said, I am who I am, which is Yahweh in Hebrew. And so, he gave his name and he gave this command to go to Pharaoh. To command that the people of the Hebrews would be set free. Moses doesn't want to go. 
So he makes excuses. His excuse is, of course, that I don't speak very well. Now there's debate, I debate whether or not he actually, there's some that are very certain that he's telling the truth. I'm not convinced that he was. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. He probably actually is very skilled at speaking. What is really going on is he's making excuses. I mean, think about it. If any of you have kids, have you ever told your kids to do something? And they said, I don't know how to do that. And you're like, I've seen you do it 20 times. You know what you're doing. Moses is making excuses because he does not want to go to the king of Egypt, the, one of the most powerful people in the region, in that part of the world, and tell him, I want you to let your workforce go, the one who's built up your empire. He doesn't want to do that. And what's more is he knows he's wanted for murder. So he does not want to go. But God is obviously more clever than Moses. And he, he goes through all of Moses' excuses and says, Well, you know what? Your brother can speak, so he'll speak for you. And so Moses goes. And he does incredible wonders. For example, he turns a staff into a serpent. And by the way, a really fun thing with this. The Hebrew word that is used for serpent there is the exact same Hebrew word that is used for the serpent in the garden. And it's very, and this is actually something we realized at our More Than Bread Bible study at Subway. So if you're looking for something to do Thursday night, join us. But this was on the last time we met. Is, yes, that's how, how long it took me to figure, catch on to this. But the serpent that God created, that was God's, swallowed the two serpents of Pharaoh, foreshadowing how God would swallow the serpent that is the devil. Kind of cool. But anyways, and remember, the person who wrote Genesis and Exodus is the same person. He intentionally used those words, I think. But anyways, but then there was, the water was turned to blood, Imagine how disturbing that would have been. Imagine going down to the river and, you know, maybe you want to go wash some clothes or you want to catch some fish and it's blood. Imagine the stink. The fish would, of course, be dead. And then there would be gnats, locusts, and I don't mean just a couple locusts here and there like we see, but we're talking everything just covered in it. You want to see what that kind of looks like? Last year, over recent years in Africa, they've had absolute horrible locust infestations. That's kind of an idea is what you see. They had frogs, they had boils, they had fire falling from the sky, they had a darkness. And you know what? Pharaoh still refused to let them go. For me, I probably would have given in at the the blood. I'll be like, okay, you got him. But he didn't. Why? Because Pharaoh fancies himself a god. He's not going to get defeated by that pesky little Hebrew god. And so he hardened his heart over and over again. It's not until towards the, the last few times that God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. 
because God has given Pharaoh what he wants. He just basically cuts, gives a shortcut and says, you know what, Pharaoh, you don't even have to worry about hardening your heart. I'll do it myself. And so God gives the final command, the final plague, that all of the male, the firstborn children of Egypt would be killed. As the Lord would pass over Egypt. And as he passes over, he gives a command to the Hebrews, to the children of Israel, that he is going to preserve them. And how? They're to put blood above their doorposts. And that blood above the door would be a sign to pass over them, to spare them of God's wrath. Now, I know a lot of times we struggle with this idea of God's wrath. Because we want to be convinced that, well, you know what? They can't be all that bad. So you see, one thing we have to remember is that you don't sin. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Your sins are evidence. They are, they are the the symptom of the disease that lies within you. The reality is, is that every single human being is born the same way they are born sinners. Born in rebellion to God. And if you want to see how bad, we, I know we want to be convinced ourselves, well, you know what, I'm not like those people I hear about on, you know, I hear about on, the, on shows like, you know, they talk about on like CSI or Law and order, those really awful people that they depict. They're not, the, we're not like those really bad people we hear in the news. You know, I'm not like Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or anything like that. But do you know something? Stalin and Hitler are really good examples of how bad we really are. And the reason is, is because Stalin or Hitler could have never done what they did if it weren't for regular everyday people helping them. Either they turn people in, in the case of the Holocaust, or they turn a blind eye, they wouldn't speak up when they should. Christians willingly change their faith in order to appease the Nazis. Because contrary to popular belief, Hitler did not like Christianity. Not true Christianity. Everyone, every human being in their sinful nature is capable of horrible things. And all of us on account of that are deserving of God's wrath. So why does God preserve the Hebrews? Why does he want to get them out of slavery? Is it because they're super duper awesome people? That they're always obedient? No. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3, what we heard at the, on September 11th. God gave a promise of an offspring, of a seed. And he gave that same problem, promise to Abraham. That through his son Isaac, there would be an offspring. There would be a seed who would defeat that serpent. 
who would swallow up the serpent. And that seed is in the people of Israel. It's amongst the Hebrews. God is keeping his promises to save everyone. And you see, that's the whole reason. If somebody ever asks you what the Bible is about, there's one simple answer. It's one, not just one word, one name. Jesus. The Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Every bit of it. Is it for you? Yes, it's definitely for you. But it's not about you. And there are passages that apply to you, but they don't always. Ultimately, the Bible is about Jesus. And the whole reason we hear about the Old Testament, you ever hear people say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. I have bad news. If you say you're a New Testament Christian and not an Old Testament Christian, you're not really a Christian. You should say, I'm, I'm a Bible Christian. In other words, both Testaments. Because remember, when Jesus is preaching and teaching his disciples, what is he teaching from? The Old Testament. And he calls it the Word of God. And he tells the disciples that it's about him. In other words, if we say we're not, we're not Old Testament, we're saying we don't want to hear about how God orchestrated and made it so we could have Christ. And the Old Testament is a shadow of what the things that God had in store. Just think about this. The way Exodus begins. The people of Israel, the Hebrews, God's chosen people are in slavery. They are in bondage. And then they are led through water, crossing the Red Sea. I know I'm going ahead a little bit. But they go across the Red Sea, and then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of 40 years, they end up in the promised land. Now, we are all born into slavery, to sin, death, and the devil. You know, that wretchedness I just talked about a little bit ago. And then we are led through the waters of baptism. And then as we are children of God, chosen by him, we wander through this world 40, 50, 60, 70, or reason about strength 80, 90, or 100, or for your oldest Moses, 120 years. And at the end, you are led to the everlasting kingdom. And this Passover feast? How does God know to pass over? Because there is a blood above the doorpost. When you were baptized, the pastor said, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. See, when they put that blood above the doorpost, it really and actually saved them from the wrath of God. Saved them from his judgment. So also, when you are baptized, that water actually does something. It actually saves you. It actually claims you. It's God reaching down and saying, this is my chosen child. And he will be spared on the last. And so Luther, in a small catechism, encourages us to every day start how? 
by making the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you're hearing, he did not say that in a, that's not written in some Roman Catholic book. It was written in your small catechism that all of you are supposed to memorize. Make the sign of the cross when you wake up and when you go to sleep. Even before you eat supper or any meal. Remembering your baptism. Remembering that you have been marked by the blood of the Lamb of God. So that when our God comes for judgment, you are spared. And you will rise to eternity. You will, your body will rise because you have been washed in the blood of Jesus who shed his blood on the cross. And in baptism, you receive that garment. That's even why we wear this clothing. Black means I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, no good sinner, deserving to die. So whenever you see a pastor wearing a clerical, it does not mean he's better than everyone else. It means he's just as bad as everyone else. The white is symbolizing baptism, that we are clothed in righteousness, clothed in forgiveness. But see, here's what's different between us and Egypt. In Egypt, they weren't really told, oh, get your Egyptian friends to put the paint over. Put the blood over the door. For you, you have time. It's not like it's going to happen in the next, well, it could. Could happen any moment, which actually shows the urgency. But your job is to point people to the Lamb of God. Not so they could put the blood above their doorposts, but that they may receive faith, that they may be baptized in his holy name, and that blood may be put upon them. And when God looks upon them, they only, he only sees his son, and he passes us and looks at us as heirs, and he prepares a kingdom for them. That's why you're here, to tell that good news, that they may join us in the life of that Christ has for us. Till that day comes, to him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith, the life everlasting.